Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football forecast. No longer just the Yahoo Fantasy Football podcast. Look at that. New artwork, new name special guest host. Before we get to that, though, I'll remind you that I am Liz Loza. And yes, I am with a special guest. His name is Emery Hunt. He is the founder of the footballgameplan.com. He's a former former running back at the University of Louisiana, and he writes for The Athletic. Thank you for joining us, Emery. Well, I appreciate you having me on, Liz. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So we're going to do a rookie rundown a little bit later in the show. But first up, It is not another day if we do not talk about COVID. So uh, the opt-out deadline hit today. We are recording on Thursday. And from what we know right now, no huge blockbuster names were added to the list. But I wanted to talk about a few recent additions. I know Dalton Del Don talked about this um, on an episode from a couple of from yesterday, I believe. But I wanted to get your thoughts on the Miami situation. You told me actually that you know you had some allegiances to the NBA and MLB squads in Miami because you grew up in New Orleans. So I know that we're not talking about the Saints, but you got to have some love for South Florida. So let's discuss the Dolphins opting out our wide receivers, Alan Hearns and Albert Wilson. What are your thoughts on the opt out in general? What do you think the team is going to do to compensate for the lack of these two receivers? You know, with the opt-out, I I completely understand, and I applaud those guys that have chosen to do that because it's hard. You you could think now as, you know, a 39-year-old what I would do in that situation, but you could also go back into your playing days and think, man, to give up a year of not playing, it's tough. So I know those guys agonize with that, that choice. And that decision. So any decision they made, I applaud. Uh, As far as the Dolphins are concerned, that's why you have depth. And that's why I I am excited about what they have. You know, you you have Preston Williams coming back and he was a guy that was, you know, emerging last year before he got injured. You have Isaiah Ford, uh, the Virginia Tech wideout who still has talent and now gets an opportunity to showcase that. But the guy I'm mostly excited about is undrafted rookie free agent Kirk Merritt out of Arkansas State. Uh, when you look at what he does, uh, explosive, you know, he's built like a running back. And at times they use him in the backfield at Arkansas State. Uh, he can play in a slot. He's kind of this draft's version of Debo Samuel. He's explosive. He can carry the ball. He can run inside or outside as far as being in the slot or being on the outside. So now he gets the opportunity to to really showcase that because he moves up two spots on the depth chart. And with his talent, 
I think he would be one that's going to surprise in training camp. Emery, what a way to bring it. I mean, I had him on my list. I have my notes up right now. I had him on my list, but I have to... I have to imagine, you know, as a rookie and given the given the obstacles that this offseason slash training camp process has presented, I was just worried about him finding his way into regular reps, especially with Brian Flores, who obviously comes from the Bill Belichick coaching tree and might be a little bit more traditional about running out. Um, vets ahead of rookies. And even, you know, when you're mentioning Debo, I think that's an awesome comp, by the way. Solid, solid comp. Um, It took Debo more than a minute to start producing in Kyle Shanahan's offense last season. So I love that as a potential, like, pin and, you know, player to watch. I actually wanted to talk more about Isaiah Ford because while I don't think he is as, certainly not as versatile as the player you're discussing, I do think he's probably most likely to be an immediate beneficiary. I mean, he is like like a seventh-round pick from 2017 and had been cut and then added to the practice squad. So there's regime changes, and he did. You know, the, the draft pedigree isn't really there for him. But um, I like the fact that he came out of college as a – um, out of out of Virginia Tech as a polished route runner. So there's an ability to jump up. I love that, um, you know, his leaping ability is incredible. He had a broad jump of 127 inches. Some concentration drops, which, again, if we're talking about continuity, especially with whatever happens under center in Miami, um, give me a little bit of pause. But to me, the the biggest hint about Ford being, quote, next man up, is that when Albert Wilson was banged up over the last month of the season, the last four weeks, like week 14 to 17, I think he was dealing with ribs and a concussion that he suffered in that Jets game in week 14. Um, Ford averaged five and a quarter catches per game, um, and he also ran an average of 25 routes per game. Not a stellar number, but again, that was going from the practice squad. And he also managed, and this is what fantasy folks like to hear, three top 35 fantasy finishes over the last four weeks of this season. Yeah, Miami clearly has a type when you talk about receivers. They like these long, angular, athletic, you know, specimens out there on the perimeter. You, you look at what they already have on the depth chart. And for Ford, it, it has to be now or never. Um, for him, you know, it's a guy that has been on the roster. This is going into, what, his fourth year? And so he he is expecting or expected to make a contribution. So he's really going to have to show up and show out. Otherwise, you're going to have someone like Merritt, you know, really breathing down his neck as far as trying to get opportunities. And you also factor in that tight end depth chart as well. You know, they may supplement that third receiver with another tight end. You know, so there's options down there in Miami. I think that's why you you are excited about what they bring to the table offensively. The offensive line has been rebuilt. Um, I still worry about their backfield, you know, as far as their running backs are concerned. I like what they have on a perimeter. I like what they have at tight end. A quarterback, you know, at least Fitzpatrick isn't scared. And if Tua is healthy, he probably is going to get the nod. So whenever that change happens, they should be fine at QB. I still worry about their their backfield situation. I think right now is is tilted more toward them throwing the football. So if you're forward, you really have to show up and show out uh, during camp. Yeah, but if you're Merritt and you have that ability to work out of the backfield and be gadgety and you have, you know, Jordan Howard, who I think is a fine floor player, right? Like he just can't 
can't catch balls. He's he's a north south very very um old school bruiser. Um, I, I wouldn't even call him a bruiser. I mean, he's just he's just an old school running back. Um, Breed is flashy, but Kyle Shanahan never gave him a, a real workload because he has obvious durability concerns. And last year, the O line was so bad that running the ball was an impossibility anyway. So I, I, I like that you're bringing up the backfield and then it's making me think more about Merritt's opportunity or an ability to carve out a real role that maybe starts as a gadgety role initially. And we know that Flores is ob- obviously interested in, in, in that sort of playmaking. And obviously anyone who comes from the Belichick tree is into, interested in players being multiple as well. So Well, that ties right into another guy that we just failed to mention that fits that role perfectly that we have to keep an eye on as Malcolm Perry out of Navy. Um, the former option quarterback, you talk about a guy that has the ball in his hands at all times. It, it does a great job. I was at the East West Shrine Bowl this past January and they were working him into the slot, transitioning from QB to slot receiver. First day he started out really well. Then, you know, he had his ups and downs as you would expect going from never playing receiver to going up against some of the top competition in the country at corner. But in the game that weekend, they was like, you know what? We're just going to hand him an end of round, let him just run an option. He scored. It was like a 60-something yard touchdown run. So when you look at Malcolm Perry and his ability within his offense, being that gadgety player, being that Taysom Hill, so to speak, uh, option within this offense, I'm excited about their red zone offense because of a guy like him and what he could bring to the tape. I'm already thinking, like, if I'm an offensive coordinator to different formations and personnel groupings you can have on a field that keeps a defense you know worried at night about what's going to potentially come so we can't discount what perry could bring to the table as a slot receiver as an emerging slot receiver but he's probably going to be a guy that can also contribute to the run game so then what does that do for mike gasecki because obviously gasecki is this marvel this measurables marvel right this metrics marvel um out of penn state we've been waiting for the breakout a lot of people are anticipating that it's this year he finally started to catch fire and produce when used as a weapon out of the slot. And he is a fine red zone option. Um, do you think this is the year that he puts it together or are all of these other little pieces maybe going to take away from his potential volume in a way that nobody is anticipating? I think he's still going to eat. When you look at talent, talent is going to warrant opportunities. You would think, you know, looking at New Orleans, you would think they would defenses would know that they're throwing the ball to Michael Thomas. Yet we see him with 500 yeah. catches a season. So if you're talented, you're going to get that opportunity. And I think, you know, I'm glad the coaching change happened in Miami because as soon as Flores got there, he realized, man, I have a oak tree at tight end and we're going to get him the football. And that's something that they should have done last season, uh, you know, the previous season. But they did it last year, and I'm excited about his potential moving forward. So I don't think what's happening around him will take away from what he brings to the table. No, and maybe this whole offense becomes more explosive, too, because obviously when the team lost Preston Williams, who was flashing right to that ACL injury, uh, things shifted. The last uh, Gasecki posted top seven numbers in route participation and total targets, nearly six per game. Um, and over the course of the year. And I feel like that should continue to move forward again when we're talking about abbreviated off season. So I like that you're still high on him. You, you just kept saying slot and all these extra weapons. And I'm thinking like, Oh no, <laughs> are we ever going to have a chance for him to break out? But um, 
you're so you're high on Gasecki as well then. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad he's getting his just due because, you know, we talk about talent all the time. And a lot of times it depends on the situation you go to because you can be talented and buried on the bench, you mm-hmm. know, and finally get your opportunity. And people say, oh, wow, what did this happen? Well, he's always been that talented. He's finally getting the ball thrown his way. Uh, so I'm glad he got that opportunity last year to see some success. And, you know, once you get a little bit of taste of success, you you want more of it. And I think that's going to drive him this offseason to be the guy, seeing that what's around him, he may think, hey, I have to step up and be a leader. I have to join, um, you know, the rest of this core and make sure I get my just due. And I think he'll do do just that. Do you think... Last question on Miami, just because I'm having none of this is on. By the way, none of this is on the outline. Emery and I are now completely off script. I have no idea what our producer is thinking. We are just having a good time. Who do you think leads the Dolphins in targets, and why is it not Devontae Parker? <laughs> He's going to lead in, in <laughs> targets. He's going to lead in targets. He's the number one. Uh, but I do think because of what they have, you know, they have a bunch of small forwards out there, to be honest. And if if I'm thinking like an offensive guy and I'm just trying to think how the, the offensive coordinator should think, they're going to spread this thing out. And, and you're going to see Matt Breida also have success, too, because you're going to spread the field to run the football. And if you you can't really key on one particular thing because you're going to sacrifice a gap in, in a run game, which means you're going to have a lot of explosive runs by Breida or if you, you know, try to boss up and try to stop the run now you put your your corners and your safeties and opportunities are in at a disadvantage because you now have these one-on-one opportunities for these uh these taller receivers and these you know this athletic tight end so miami has an opportunity this year i believe to really cause some problems and i'm excited to see what they do offensively oh i want to see what they do to the patriots all right let's uh let's talk about some rookies um we mentioned that you played ball in college you were running back um and the in terms of fantasy, the rookies that normally produce most immediately are running back. So we're going to start with that. I don't want to talk about Clyde Edwards Hilaire because it has been talked enough and obviously he's attached to an absolutely fire offense. So um, where are you? Let's talk about maybe that next tier of players. Um, I ran on my Instagram a would you rather who would you rather draft competition between Cam Akers now of the Rams or DeAndre Swift who will be theoretically joining or overtaking Carryon Johnson in the in the Lions backfield? I'm going with Swift. You Ooh. know, and, I, and I'm a big Cam Akers guy. I, I like his game, but Swift to me, well, this is back when he had Nick Chubb and also uh, Sony Michelle. You watch him carry the ball. You're like, you know what? He's the best out the three. He was a freshman then. Um, he just has the juice. I like to call it. He has that. Reminds me a lot of. LaShawn McCoy and how he just he runs like how you run in your dreams like it just fluid and just smooth and you're making everybody miss you're explosive he is going to bring to that backfield in Detroit what they've lacked since you can say Reggie Bush but I'm gonna go all the way back since Barry Sanders they haven't had a bona fide game breaker and now they have one and I and I say because the of the offense and the way they've built that offensive line, and they're going to try to you know, run with those multiple tight ends. They're going to have some opportunities to create some lanes in the run game. Swift is going to be special. Also, his dad is an absolute unit. That's a side <laughs> note. Um, <laughs> exactly. His dad lifts weights, doesn't he? 
<laughs> he does. Um, you know what? I I have gone back and forth on this myself. I agree that Swift was probably the best overall runner um, and most complete back in this year's class. Um, he comped to me less like LaShawn McCoy, though I understand that comp, and more to Dalvin Cook. I am worried about him similarly to Dalvin Cook and a problem that's been recurrent in the Lions' backfield, staying healthy. I'm just not 100% sure when I look at his you know, he'll lower his shoulder, but he still has a running style that invites injury. Um, I love his feet. It's the rest of him that gives me a little bit of pause. And the Detroit's O-line has been reworked, but they've got two new linemen. I'm not quite sure it's going to gel immediately. And I guess I just really like Cam Akers' ability to create with with a dun- with a bunch of excuses, right? Like behind that O line, what at FSU, what Cam Akers was able to do was next level. And admittedly, it's a little bit tough because you've also got Daryl Henderson in the backfield, and he was a third round pick from just a year ago. And the Rams clearly love Malcolm Brown; otherwise, he would actually be in Detroit. But they decided to match the offer sheet a, a season or so ago. So. I'm not quite sure who's going to win the battle in Los Angeles, whether it's going to be a split, a three-headed Hydra. And I do think in terms of volume, the cues of the Detroit coaching staff are saying that Swift is going to, that the carry-on has lost favor a little bit and that Swift should see more volume. So in terms of fantasy production, I imagine that the volume will lean in in Swift's way. I'm just, it would not surprise me to see Cam Akers overtake the Rams' backfield because he is, I think, a special player. The only thing I worry about Cam Akers is the fact that he has to beat out Daryl Henderson, who is legit special. You talk about someone that could hit the home run from anywhere on the field, that's Henderson. And now that he gets that opportunity to be the lead dog in that backfield, or at least right out of the gate, he's going to be the first one out the gate. That's the one that really is going to you know, keep those other backs at bay. What Akers brings to the table is the fact that he's versatile. So you can have both Henderson and Akers in the backfield at the same time. Um, and Akers is a much better receiver out of the backfield. Uh, so he gives you that element. But Henderson is the one that's going to ring that cash register up pretty quickly. And I think that's mm-hmm. going to be the only impediment for Akers getting the, you know, or let's say Akers beating out Swift as far as who's going to be more productive right away, because Henderson is, is a dog and Henderson is, is explosive. He's dynamic. You talk about someone in college that averaged what almost nine yards of carry. You don't even do that in practice when he lets you run past people. You know, it's this dude is like a game breaker. And Henderson is probably one that not a lot of people are talking about, to be honest. But when you're looking at, I mean, you, everything you're, you're saying is spot on. It's just that when you look at what the Rams had in draft capital in 2020, they went and spent it on a running back. And if Henderson were as seemingly special, and I wrote plenty of glowing scouting reports on him, uh, you know, heading into the 2019 season, then then I, I wonder why the team would make that decision. Um, and you are right. Like my first two adjectives describing Cam Akers, I just pulled up my notes, are acrobatic and shifty. Right. So he does have that versatility that you're talking about, the pass catching ability. I'm, do you really, I don't know. I know obviously Todd Gurley being missing, like they wanted to fill shoes, but now they have real, real depth. Do you really think that, do you, do you expect, give me, do you think it would be a 60 40 split, uh, a 30 30 
40 split, how would you break it down between the three backs in terms of percentage? You seen who the Rams quarterback is? I mean, I can't miss it. I live in L.A. <laughs> That's why they spent what they spent on a running back. When golf was adequate and looked comparable um, or competent, they, they went to the Super Bowl. And it was because they had that strong run game. And so last year they didn't, and he fell apart. You know, his statistics looked okay, but he didn't play the same. So that's why I thought they invested in the backfield. And they invest in the backfield like people do at receiver. Because if you look at their receiving core, they're stacked too. You know, they they can go seven deep at at wide receiver. They go three deep now at tight end with Bryson Hopkins. So they're going to always stockpile talent, skill talent. Um, And if I had to break it down, I think it'll be 60-40 with Henderson and also Akers. The good part is you have guys that don't need volume. Uh, and when you look at a Malcolm true. Brown, he needs volume to be successful. These are old school, high formation back that needs volume. But these other two guys are, are we call them spot starters. Um, they can come in right away, cold, get carries and be explosive. So I think that's why you're going to see both have success. But I'm going to gamble more on Henderson because of his breakaway speed, his explosive ability. And we know the Rams run that outside zone well. And Henderson just needs a sliver of a lane. And it's and it's off to the races. So maybe people are sleeping on Henderson and the distraction of the new toy is keeping them from realizing what's actually there. That's a very good point. All right. We talked about those two. I have to say you might have you might have changed my mind because initially I was all in on Swift and then I, I moved over to Acres and now well done, Emery. It takes a lot to to change my mind. <laughs> Swift will Swift will do it for you, I'll tell you that. Swift you you'll be all right with Swift. Well, I mean, I've like, again, what I wrote is the pitter patter, like he's got that in his feet and that is exceptional. I'm just, I'm really worried about him staying healthy, but that is something that, you know, it's one of the most volatile positions, um, in, in football. So, uh, so running backs are going to get hurt. This is not a newsflash. Um, a running back who very rarely gets hurt probably because he continually wins the O-line lottery is Jonathan Taylor. He is the one rookie that we haven't yet discussed leaving Wisconsin, my mom's alma mater, and going to the Colts. Um, Marlon Mack is still there. So you're going to say the same thing to me? Like people are sleeping on Marlon Mack. And even though Jonathan Taylor is an absolute workhorse, and even though the Colts drafted him in the second round, he's still um, not going to be used as much or more than Marlon Mack? There's a reason why they went ahead and drafted Jonathan Taylor. And you laid it out eloquently. You go from Wisconsin's offensive line and you go to the pro versions of Wisconsin's offensive line, you know, in in Indianapolis. And the reason why you like Taylor in that offense behind that offensive line, there were opportunities, which we like to say there were yards stuffed on the field. Taylor is a guy that will find those yards. He's explosive. I think people look at his size and don't understand how explosive he is, but he ran track in college. You know, when you run track in college, you are legitimately fast. And so he is legit fast. He's a a well-accomplished runner. He sees the field really well. He understands the run game. He's an old school back that I love because when you look at guys like a Marlon Mack or a lot of the backs like Marlon Mack, and it's not a knock, it's just the way the game has evolved. You know, these guys have it a lot easier because of the spread offense. You know, they're running zone read. Mm. Um, they have gaping holes that they're run, running through because of the college hash marks. So you can spread teams out legitimately. And, you know, you, you can really identify a hole right away. You, you're not really working on your vision. 
you don't get that at Wisconsin. You really have to kind of work on your vision, develop that, and and find your success. And for him to be able to do that in that storied program with all those tremendous backs going back to Alan Amici and what he was able to, to accomplish at Wisconsin, you know, you have to tip your hat to Taylor. And he's a special talent, and they went after him for a reason. He's a pace setter in the run game. I think he's going to get over 1,300 yards this year as a rookie. Are you at all worried? I love that. Uh, out of curiosity, who'd you comp him to? Who was your comp for him? For Jonathan Taylor, that's a good question. I want to say I compared him to, uh, I can't remember. I, I know I, it was someone that, that it was a contemporary player, but I can't remember. It's all been the a time. minute. I just looked at my, I, I comped him to Nick Chubb. That's, who, a, that's a good comp. Who I like a lot. Yeah, Nick Chubb is in um, where, I, where he and Nick Chubb have a lot of similarities. Explosive speed, uh, power, they're productive. You rarely see those guys lose yards. Um, and I think Chubb is a little bit more of a of a receiver coming out of the backfield, a little bit more, you know, apt in that category. Even though they didn't ask him to do a lot of it at Wisconsin, Taylor can catch the ball. He showed that this year. Uh, but I, I do think that that's a very good comp for Jonathan Taylor. I, I would have to pull up my uh, scouting guide to see what I comp to, and I don't want to burn up all your daytime minutes trying to search that. <laughs> no, I, I, I appreciate it. I was just out of – it wasn't – again, guys, that wasn't on the outline. I was just wondering because uh, I, I enjoy talking rookies, and Emery is so full of crazy knowledge. Um, you did mention – the lack of Taylor's use as a receiver at Wisconsin. He, he, you know, caught, I think, I think he had eight receptions uh, per season until his final year. We, he caught like 25 ish balls, 26, maybe 26 balls um, in 2019 are, are then from a fantasy angle, are then people not, leaning on Naheem Hines enough. Uh, Naheem Hines, obviously a very different skill set than Jonathan Taylor's, but much more of that third down pass catching back. And when you look at the change in quarterback to Phillip Rivers, who has targeted his running back 26% of the time since he's been a starting QB, you have to imagine that either Taylor's going to get the reps and going to get them fast, or Naheem Hines is going to get some, um, some targets that, not many are anticipating. Yeah, you can look at Hines, and and I'm a big fan of Hines, too, because he's versatile. He was a receiver, then turned a running back, so he has that ability to run routes. And so he can find himself open a lot. He's going to be this offense's version of Austin Eckler. And when you look at how you had Melvin Gordon operate along with Austin Eckler, I think it's going to be Jonathan Taylor along with Naheem Hines. And so you're just fading Marlon Mack? I think Marlon Mack is a good – he's going to be a good spot guy. He has the explosiveness, um, but you're going to give that volume to Taylor. I think Taylor's going to earn that volume. And, you know, Mack is going to get – he's going to get 30% of the carries, but Taylor is such a dog, you don't want to take him off the field. Oof, I love it. I love it. All right. Um, so there we just talked about four rookie running backs. There was a fifth that could have been included. Keyshawn Vaughn had himself a moment in on fantasy Twitter, fantasy football Twitter. Uh, but that hype train has been derailed because Bruce Arians came out and said, and I quote, Rojo is the main guy. He'll carry the load. Now, I don't know if you 
if you've ever listened to coach speak, Emery, or if you put full stock, BA is more of a sharp, sh- a straight shooter, I should say, than I than I think most. But still, um, our, he said that the rest of this backfield is going to complement Vaughn. I would tend to believe that Arians, and I feel like I talked, I don't know if I talked about it on my podcast or somebody else's podcast, um, that uh, Arians, you know, took him a minute to bring out David Johnson, right? He was still utilizing Chris Johnson. uh, And it wasn't until Chris Johnson broke his leg that he was like, all right, we can now use the rookie. Um, And that was, you know, in November of what was that? 2015, I believe, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So is that right? 2015? right? I believe so. Yeah. Um, anyway, do you think there's any hope for Vaughn or is he going to have to wait till 2021 and beyond? Vaughn has to worry about Raymond Colley, the other running back they drafted too, you know, and I'm not saying this because I'm biased, but Raymond Colley is tremendous, uh, explosive. That's something that, that Vaughn is not dynamic receiver. That's something that Vaughn is not. Vaughn is going to be the Malcolm Brown of the offense, just to use a comparison. Uh, Rojo showed last year he was improved. Um, you know, he's taking pride in the position. You see how he's taking care of his body in the offseason, bulked up a little bit. Um, and I think Vaughn will be used to spell him. But the the real back to watch, rookie-wise, the impact you talk about Naheem Hines, I think you can put Raymond Colley in that same category. He already is going to be their best special teamer as far as returner. Um, that's why they drafted him. But they also drafted him because he catches the ball well out of the backfield and it has explosive speed. Emery, you are a wealth of knowledge. This is now we're going real deep. I mean, I'm not I don't mind anyone who doesn't want to talk a lot about Rojo because I've been burnt too many times. But I don't think I've heard anyone mention Collie's name. So props to you. Thank you for enlightening us. Me included. And I agree with you on Vaughn. I mean, again, I'm looking at my notes and I wrote meh question mark. (laughs) So I didn't really understand the full hype, but um, ah, okay. So one more pin in him. Let's talk about, we talked about all of the running backs then, unless there's another one that you want to discuss. Is there, you know, you want to talk about floor is yours, man. You're sweeping up. If there's anywhere, any running backs that you want to mention, throw it out now. Well, the client, that was hilarious. It's funny to me because all throughout the season, you told people, you know what? If the Chiefs had Kareem Hunt, they'd be really unstoppable. And people, oh, no, they got Damon Williams. First thing they do in the offseason, go and draft a running back in the first round. Because mm-hmm. they knew they needed someone special back there, and they got someone. So just a little bit of, I told you so, to uh, people that just thought that this Damon Williams, and shout out to him because he helped them win the Super Bowl. Uh, he really turned it on down the stretch. But you knew that that was the spot, one spot on that offense where you looked and said, man, if they had Kareem Hunt, man, they'd really be unstoppable. And so they went out and got someone that has Kareem Hunt-like skill set as a receiver and also as a runner. I love CEH as well. Um, I comped him to MJD for what it's worth. Right down to the hyphens and everything. Uh, Let's talk about receivers. So receivers generally don't, come on as quickly, especially for fantasy purposes, as running backs, but this is a crazy year, and anything can happen, and there are opt-outs, and so now there are players like Jalen Rager who are going to be thrust into a theoretical large workload. Marquise Goodwin opted out for the season. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey, 
not fully healthy or recovered from that list, Frank. Deshaun Jackson, hard to rely on. Um, Jaws, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, you know, I think he has some sleeper potential because he was very, very injured last year. And if he could do some of the things he did at Stanford in terms of um, winning in contested situations, I think that could be a bit of a find. But we're looking at Jalen Rager potentially being, you know, the number two wideout on the squad as a rookie. And then we also have, in a similar situation, Justin Jefferson, the player that a lot of Eagles fans, frankly, wanted ahead of Jalen Rager. Um who was so dominant in the slot, um, but I think can do more than that with enough time. I think his ceiling is probably closer to Keenan Allen and his floor is closer to Tyler Boyd. And that's no knock on Tyler Boyd because he is absolutely exceptional. Um, which of these two would you rather draft? I think it's that's a great way to frame it because that's a tough question um, because they both bring two unique skill sets to the table. I think you look at Rager has the ability to be an inside guy or even as a flanker on, on the outside. Jefferson, I think, you know, thrives inside. I think that's where he he will continue to thrive. I think he's kind of relegated to be that slot guy. I know he says he can play outside and probably can, uh, but I like him better on the inside. And so, you know, for versatility purposes, I would probably go with Rager because he can be utilized across the formation He's an explosive athlete. He's dynamic. And it all depends on what you want. You know, some coaches prefer size on the inside uh, when you're looking at these receivers. And I can understand that. So you go and get a Justin Jefferson. Or if you want someone that you just want to be a catch and run guy, then Rager is your, is your, your man. And so you want someone that can just really, uh, if, if Carson Wentz is your point and shoot quarterback, then he has someone that can catch and run. And that's Rager. Also, it bears mentioning that Jefferson did show up on the uh, COVID list, the NFL COVID list. So whether that means he was exposed to someone who tested positive or he himself tested positive, we don't know. We won't because of privacy laws, but he has three weeks to sit on on that list, which is not terribly concerning, but just a little bit because he is a rookie. So there's already been time missed and time is so valuable in terms of, you know, gelling, even getting to know personalities. So it's a little bit of a setback. Um I tend to agree with you and would also say Jalen Rager because of his versatility. My worry about Rager is that what was the number one, the knock against him, right? Coming out of college was that he hadn't taken enough traditional reps as an outside receiver, that he had been used as a gadget so much um, because of the really bad quarterback play at TCU. And so part of me is like, well... Is he going to have the reps to do the thing that Doug Peterson wants him to do? But on the other hand, the gadgety stuff is probably more difficult than that stuff anyway. So if he can do that, he can do all the things. Yeah, it's like when people say, oh, well, quarterback A didn't take snaps on the center. Well, at practice, before you even start practice, there's something called CQ exchange where you're taking snaps under center. You're constantly doing that before you start stretch and before you start practice. So running routes is running routes, whether you do it on the inside or on the outside. It's all about your release and, and your positioning. So when you look at route running in terms of what he was doing in college, in college kind of, you know, it's unique because of the wide hash marks. And we can get into a whole discussion on how that affects the game going from college to pro. And But when you look at it from a route running perspective, you're always out in space. So, you know, it, it all depends on what the defense declares as the boundary to how they defend you. So you're running routes, you know, wherever you are, which could 
essentially, you may be running it out in space. With we would look at it with the naked eye and say, "Oh, that's a, in, inside as a slot." But how they defend you, you could be essentially declared the boundary. So it all it all depends on, you know, what the other team is doing. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Uh, I think his skill set yields itself to him being able to play on the outside uh, because you have to be a little bit better at um, at the snap, at the line of scrimmage with your release, with your hand usage. You have to be a little bit stronger. Um, you can't be afraid of physical contact. And we know he's a, a physically built receiver. So I think that helps him out on the outside more so. Because when you put guys inside at the pro level, you're essentially saying we, we want to – protect this guy from getting jammed because mm-hmm. that's not his strong suit. And so on the outside, you're a little bit more apt to be able to beat bump press. And I think he can do that because of what he was able to do when he did line up on the outside when he had the opportunity. Perfectly stated. Love it. Um, let's talk about, let's quickly go through a couple of more players. And then I want to end with just so you can in the back of your mind prepare for this. Cause again, I'm going off script. Um, a sleeper rookie receiver, maybe not one that's going to immediately produce, but one that people are overlooking. Before we do that, though, Michael Pittman, Indianapolis Colts, first first pick of the Colts draft, right? Uh, what what are your thoughts on Pittman? Why is his ADP so low? I loved him. I, I thought I thought like coming out of USC, excellent route runner. You can definitely tell his daddy is a running back because of the way he runs after the catch. Brute player, um, the, the NFL bloodlines. I thought he could really, especially when you're looking at the receiving core in Indianapolis, to be a beneficiary of a lot of volume. But his ADP has definitely slipped. Do you have any thoughts on him? I, I love his game. You know, I think he is one of those receivers that you want on your team, one that takes the ball uh, and tries to score. You know, you want those guys. And I like that he has a great sense of timing to, hey, the team needs to play right here. I'm going to make that play. You like that about his game. So no moment is too big for him. Um, He can play high post. He can play above the rim. He can play the catch and run game. So I think people are sleeping on his versatility as far as what what his skill set is. So I like that fit for Indianapolis. It helps balance out their passing game with T.Y. Hilton, uh, the emergence of Paris Campbell. And now you have a Michael Pittman that can play outside or you can put him on a move like a flanker or what have you. So I think people are definitely sleeping on what he what he could do this year, potentially, in Indy. Denzel Mims, New York Jets. Uh, again, a lot of volume could be his. Definitely a, a little bit more raw of a prospect than the other guys we talked about. But, you know, if the argument for Rager is look at all of this potential volume, then that argument should be the same for Mibs, Mims, except we're dealing with Adam Gase and the Jets and Sam Darnold. Yeah, and the thing you like about Mims is the fact that he attacks the football. And I said this all throughout the college football season. He attacks the ball um, the same way Des Bryant attacks the football. And you like receivers that, that go up and grab the ball with their hands, able to look it in, make tough catches. Saw him down at the senior bowl all week long doing the same thing. Uh, matched up against some good competition at corner. Uh, him and uh, Darnay Holmes had some really good battles throughout the week, you know, who's now a rookie with the New York Giants. Um, so I thought Mills did well down there. I thought his tape was solid. Uh, he's more of an outside guy, specifically because, you know, he's not the quickest, uh, so you don't want to put him inside. But I think if you're looking at 
a receiver that should get volume. It, it probably would be Mims, but you worry about that offense, and you know there's some options that's going to be there that's going to probably take precedent, like Le'Veon Bell, the healthy return of Chris Herndon, along with the emergence of Ryan Griffin, um, along with what we saw to be the you know the safety blanket for um, Sam Darnold and Jameson Crowder. You know, so Jameson. I think there's options there oh. that allow a rookie to slowly groom. So I wouldn't probably touch him this year. Um, but next year, I think he would would truly uh, take off. I mean, he is just he's an athlete like and also played track, played basketball. When you look at his tape, you said he attacked the ball. I mean, he plays so physically. And I tend to like players with more with receivers with a little bit more dog in them. Um, just a personal take. Right. Like. That's not to say that some of these um, long striders aren't uh, tough, but they're just a little bit more elegant. And I like a player who's like, well, a little like me, a, a little bit scrappy. So, <laughs> so um, I, I really like him and I can see him if he and Darnold gel and they show that rapport that that similarly Herndon, a tight end, yes, but that Herndon and Darnold showed at the end of Darnold's rookie year, if he can get that court, sort of bond going with Mims, I think that he could move up that depth chart very quickly. I think he has all the talent for it. Yeah, Mims is a good bailout receiver. He's going to help Darnold out. That's it. You said it perfectly. He is a bailout receiver. And then if, if Chris Herndon can stay on the field, uh, get on the field and stay on the field, then uh, Darnold will certainly, who's definitely had some, you know, accuracy issues, uh, will certainly help him in that regard. So that's a good call. Let's talk. Lastly, we got uh, Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. Judy, obviously, likely to line up opposite Cortland Sutton, who has looked fantastic. KJ Hamler's part of that group, too. There's a lot going on in, in Denver, so it's hard to project what kind of volume we'd expect Judy to see. Yeah, and it's funny when you look at that depth chart, you look at it's like you're looking at the ranch. It's like, man, they got talent everywhere, at receiver and also at tight end. Uh, when you factor in Noah Font and what he did last year. And, you know, Deshaun Hamilton is still on a roster. For sure. Um, so I think when you look at Denver's situation, they want to be that, that, that uh, stereotypical spread offense. They're going to spread you out, and it's going to be everyone's going to get an opportunity. So you may get, you know, split receptions from both – uh, uh, Judy and also Hamler, because um, Corton Cortland Sutton's going to get his, Fant's going to get his. So I think that's going to be like one of those situations where everyone's going to have a little bit of something, uh, and it's all about what you do with that opportunity. And the good thing about Judy is he's explosive, so he can take a short pass a long way. Ruggs is in the same boat. I mean, you look at the Raiders' depth chart, like man, Edwards from South Carolina is there. Lynn Bowden, we didn't talk about at, in the backfield. I was shocked that they immediately announced that he was going to move to running back because I thought he was the perfect slot receiver. No, they got Hunter Renfro, and you know that Derek Carr and Hunter Renfro have themselves a bond. Like, that's not... <laughs> <laughs> right. And so so you got all those options out there in Oakland, but Ruggs, his, he reminds me a lot of Joey Galloway and the fact that he has legit acceleration. His mm. acceleration is top-notch. I mean, like, he can go from zero to 100 in an instant, and when you catch one of those short passes that, you know, Carl loves to throw, it doesn't take much for him to really have, you know, a three catch 99 yard day in a touchdown. So, you know, I think both guys are in great situations it's just about what they can do with the ball after the catch. And I think both are going to be able to, to maximize whatever opportunities they're going to be able to get. 
I like that you mentioned Brian Edwards, too, because I think a lot of people, not for fantasy purposes, but just in terms of how he fits into the ecosystem in Vegas, are discounting him. A very physical player, high character player. Um, I think that he is going to do a lot of the dirty work, a lot of the heavy lifting um, so that rugs can... um, find the space, you know, so that Rudd can find the space to run so that he isn't double covered all the time. Um, And I I think that Edwards is going to surprise on the football field. It may not translate to fantasy stats, though. Yeah, I think the Raiders as a whole are going to be a lot better than what people think they are. You know, they got options on offense. Defensively, they play together and we saw a defensive team get better. And so I thought the Raiders were making a late charge last season. Had it not been for the season ending, they had maybe three more weeks. I thought the Raiders would have done enough to get to the playoffs. Uh, But that's going to be a team that not a lot of people are talking about uh, as vying for that seventh spot now in the the, uh, postseason. I think that that is a great call. And it's also something that um, we have the Yahoo football podcast with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler, which y'all should subscribe to. Uh, And they made a point that in these times of COVID, the teams that are the most disciplined, like we're looking at the MLB, your Marlins, for example, got themselves into a place, right? Not being disciplined necessarily. And so teams, we know that Mayock is like a big character guy. He likes to use the C word, the culture word all the time. You've got Jason Witten, which still blows my mind. Jason Witten is on the Las Vegas Raiders. And Charles and Therese were making this point that some of the teams that are really disciplined and that have veteran presence on their teams are going to be able to weather the COVID disruption in a, in a, in a, maybe um, a much better way than, than people are talking about. And I immediately thought about the Raiders. I thought about Mayock. I thought about Witten. I thought about even Edwards as a rookie because he is a high character kid. Um, And there's not going to be any players in the stands in Vegas. And so I think even from just a weirdly positioned what this year, the obstacles that this year is providing different teams, the Raiders are in a position to surprise. Yeah, I mean, this season will really come down to I know the the analytics folks will hate this, but this will be the season where it comes down to who can run the ball, who can play defense, because you don't need timing to run the football. And you better sure be able to stop the run in uh, in, in today's, uh, you know, in this COVID-19 era. So the teams that are really good run teams should have success because at the end of the day, we can just turn around and hand the ball off. So I think that's why we also saw teams bulk up on linemen and also backs more so than we normally see. Uh, because if you can run the ball this year, you're going to be playing in the postseason. I love that point. All right, let's. End with you giving me another, as if you haven't provided another rookie to watch name that nobody else is talking about. Adam Troutman from New Orleans. Yes. You look at what Sean Payton did for Jimmy Graham and what Jimmy Graham did for the tight end position. He put it back on the map, right? Um, they were looking for the new guy when he was, you know, emerging as the man in New Orleans. Uh, and so since he left New Orleans, they've been struggling to find a tight end. I know they had Josh Hill. Uh, he was a thing for a little bit. But Jared Cook last year was really what they were lacking at that position since Jimmy Graham. And now you add uh, Jared Cook coming off his best season, but you add a guy that has wide receiver-like route running ability, the ability to catch football like a receiver, and also can chip in with you – know, he's a better blocker than people gave him credit for. 
You put him as the number two tight end in that Saints offense when the attention is focused on Michael Thomas, Jared Cook, and now uh, Emmanuel Sanders. Troutman has a chance to to really be outstanding this year as a rookie. I think he went to the most ideal situation uh, to utilize his skill set. And, and now I look at that Saints offense, and you look at how the Eagles utilize those two tight ends and how they're able to get success out both of those guys at that position. I see the Saints doing the same thing. I don't think a lot of people nationally are talking about what the Saints did to go and get Troutman. They traded the rest of their draft to get back to get him in that third round. Um, only to come back later on in the seventh round to get Tommy Stevens, who looks like the new Taysom Hill. But they went to go and get Troutman because they know that guy right there is the ideal, the quintessential flex tight end. And going in this offense as a tight end, too, when everyone will be focused elsewhere, Troutman is the one I think will have the biggest year at that tight end position uh, as a rookie. I love that you mentioned him. Quick fun fact about Adam Troughton. First Dayton football player to be drafted in the NFL since 1977. And yes, you're totally right. When Sean Payton and the New Orleans Saints trade up to grab a tight end in the third round, you pay attention. You write down his name. Also, Cook becomes an undrafted free agent in 2021, which provides an amazing opportunity for Troutman. This is a perfect way to end things. My gosh, we end with tight ends is my favorite position in football. Thank you so much, Emery. Well, I that was just serendipitous. Um, thank you for joining us. You can follow Emery on Twitter at F Ball Game Plan. Is that right? At F Ball Game Plan. And is there anything else you want to plug? You can subscribe to the Football Game Plan Network located at youtube.com slash football game plan. Go ahead and do that. In the meantime, while you're subscribing to things, check out the Yahoo Sports variety of podcasts. We've got Fantasy Baseball Action and the Yahoo Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We have the aforementioned Yahoo Sports NFL Podcast. And we have the Yahoo Sports College Podcast with Dan Wetzel and Pete Thamel. And y'all, I mean, this is above my pay grade, but Emery Hunt should definitely do a little guest segment on the Yahoo Sports College podcast because you have been nothing but fire, Emery. Thank you again. You can follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF. Scott Pianowski will be back on Monday with friend of the podcast, TJ Hernandez. Hey, TJ, as we kick off our position preview next week. It's no secret that our world has been interrupted. A World Interrupted is a daily podcast telling stories of coronavirus and its impact on the economy. We want to cover the issues in the macro, global economics, the stock market, and our political climate. We'll also cover the micro stories, maybe the ones you don't hear as much about in the news or the media. We hope you'll listen and be a part of the journey. So subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.